With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You can't see me, but I'm wearing an awesome single tracks hat right now. It's actually the reason my voice sounds so amazing. Okay, so maybe not, but you never know until you get a hat for yourself. Go to shop.singletracks.com to find Singletracks hats, t-shirts, stickers, tubular headwear, and can coolers. Shipping is free within the USA, and your purchase helps support the Singletracks podcast. That's shop.singletracks.com, and thank you for your support. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and Chris and I are going to be talking about our favorite mountain bike destinations. Well, really, your favorite mountain bike destinations. Uh, We recently published a list of what we think are the best mountain bike destinations in the USA uh, right now. And this is a list we've published over the years a number of times, and we've obviously updated it. A lot of things change. And so, yeah, we're excited to talk about this year's list and sort of how we picked them. So let's start off by asking a question. Chris, what was your first trip to a mountain bike destination? What was like the first time you're like planned a trip specifically just to go biking and, and how'd that go? Well, Moab is a six hour drive from my house. So that was my first destination. It was right out of college. I had bought my first, what I would say, real mountain bike. And someone said, let's go ride in Moab. The first trail I ever rode there was Slick Rock, which Mm. in hindsight wasn't wise (laughs) because I wasn't very good at mountain biking at the time. But it was awesome to camp there. And of course, Moab is absolutely stunning and beautiful. And it also happens to be at the top of this list because everyone else thinks the same thing or at least similar. So that was my first trip. It was pretty, pretty magic. Yeah. That's awesome. What what bike were you riding when you went out there? Do you remember? I was riding a specialized stump jumper. Oh, nice. Was it full suspension or was that a hard, wasn't it a hardtail at one point? Yeah, I had the full suspension version and let's see, it had two derailers. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) to be clear a front and a rear when you said that i was like two rear derailers that's weird yeah no front front and rear i think i left it in the middle chain ring the entire time i don't think i really even shifted on slick rock which was maybe (laughs) why i found it so difficult because i really didn't know much about it um about mountain biking in general and the shop just set me up with you know they're like you need clipless and you need all the things. So I bought all the things and like went straight to Moab. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of people have probably a pretty similar experience with, with Moab specifically. And yeah, just like that first trip away from home, riding unfamiliar trails. What about you, Matt? What was your first mountain bike trip? It was, uh, yeah. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I live in, uh, outside of Denver too. And it was Moab. It's like a year and a half after I started mountain biking, maybe, and my friend brought it up. And so we stopped in, maybe it's Fruta that was my first destination. So we stopped in Fruta because it's on the way and rode uh, 18 
the 18 road trails and then mm -hmm. the uh, most of Porcupine Run the next day. I think we might have had one other ride planned, but after Porcupine Rim, both of us still being pretty fresh riders, we were like, nah, let's just go home and <laughs> recover. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's that's funny because my first trip, I was gonna say Moab too. I mean, that was that's the first like real destination trip. Although Leah and I had ridden in Pisgah probably a few times before that, but back then, you know, this was like early 2000s. Like, I don't know if I would have called it a, a mountain bike destination. Like there wasn't a whole lot of like infrastructure back then. And so, yeah, it just felt kind of like a more of like a weekend trail ride type of situation. But yeah, going to Moab, that for me was kind of the first trip that I ever took. And yeah, like Chris said, I rode Slick Rock. Pretty sure that was the first trail we rode. It was super hot. I remember we both planned our trip for August, which was pretty poor timing, but yeah. Um, yeah. Moab. That's, that's crazy that that's kind of our first trip. And, you know, it is like you guys mentioned, it's, it's the number one destination on our list. And so as I guess a lot of mountain bikers start at the top, they've heard of Moab. Like that's the one you got to hit first. Very pretty classic. So what do you guys think? What, what is it that makes somewhere a good mountain bike destination? Because by now we've all visited a number of, of cool spots. And so I'll start off with you, Chris, like what, what do you look for when you're planning a trip and what makes you want to go visit somewhere for mountain biking? I would say first and foremost, the, the scenery, <laughs> mm, yeah. um, obviously Moab is super scenic, no matter where you look, it's beautiful. I would also second that with Sedona, same thing, same feeling. It just feels natural, even though Moab is very, I would say crowded at this point with lots of mountain bikers and jeepers and moto enthusiasts. Um, when you get out there, it feels like you know, you're kind of out there alone in the, in the wild. So definitely that. And then I personally prefer to camp when I'm mountain biking. So I look for places that have an abundance of camping so that again, I can feel like I'm out in the wild of sorts. And then I guess the last thing I look for is I, I'd love to not have cell phone service at all, but um, sparse cell phone service is a plus. I don't really want to communicate with other people. I want to enjoy being in that moment when I'm in that moment. So mm. that is a, a huge plus. And Moab certainly has some cell phone service, but not very good cell phone service <laughs> when you're really out there. So that's yeah. helpful. And like just turn that off and forget about it. Yeah. Interesting. What about you, Matt? What do you think? What's, what's like the primary draw for you? I think back then it was, you know, it was the fact that Moab had like these big shuttled epic descent. So, I mean, I sucked at climbing back then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Still not the the best, but uh, for me, it was like the fact that you could go hop on a shuttle and get like 25, 30 miles of mostly downhill. Um, that was a big draw for me, for sure. Yeah, definitely a big difference from most people's local trails, you know, like going somewhere either with shuttles or with lift service. Like I think for a lot of people that I know here in Atlanta, like that's, you know, if you're going to go somewhere, you want to go somewhere where you can try that. You can try lift served or, or shuttle service. Yeah, totally. And 
Chris, I'm like you. I, I mean, scenery is like a big draw for me going somewhere that's different from where I'm used to riding, seeing, you know, somewhere that's really beautiful. And then kind of like I mentioned with Pisgah, I, I think for me, I also want to see that like infrastructure in place with like bike shops and tour operators and, you know, cool restaurants or breweries or things like that. And to me that, you know, just sort of sets the vibe. Like this is a mountain bike spot. Like these are my people and, you know, I'm going to make an effort to like go to a place where I can sort of connect with that, which I think is fun. Yeah. And Moab's sort of unique for being a destination within Utah that sort of has those establishments. Um, like if you go to St. George, there's not really a whole lot of breweries or bars you can pop into yeah. after a ride. So yeah, Moab's still sort of unique in having those, yeah, a, somewhat of a, a nightlife or like a small mountain town. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing too, if we look at some of these destinations, I feel like weather plays a role in it too. Like people, for a lot of us, if we're going to travel, it's because we're like trying to get away from whatever the weather is doing at home. So if it's cold, like we want to go to Sedona or, you know, Moab or somewhere like that. And if it's hot where we are, we want to go to these like Alpine destinations in the summer. So yeah, I feel like that, that plays a role. All right. So let's get to this list. We ended up with 12 destinations this time, ones that we felt like we had to include. We started actually with a, a pretty big list. We asked for nominations from single tracks readers. I think by the time we sort of compiled it, we had had like 1,200 nominations. And from that, we kind of narrowed that down to like 40 or so, 40 places that had more than one or a few votes each. And then, so we went through those and sort of debated the merits. Some of them were real obvious, like Moab. We were like, yes, obviously, like we don't really need to debate that. Um, but then other ones, it was, it was kind of tougher. And so Matt is Matt's idea for us to do this podcast, which I thought was great. So we can kind of explain our thinking and like what those discussions were like behind putting this list together. So let's start at the top. Moab. We've already kind of talked about it, but yeah. is there anything else to say? Like, Chris, what else is there to say about Moab? Personally, I just I just love how chunky and rocky it is. I, we don't have a ton of huge rocks that are really grippy like that. So that's a huge draw for me and for a challenge. Yeah. And then as Matt mentioned, you can you can go into town if you want to. And there's always a an abundance of people watching there just because there are so many different types of activities to do. So I like watching the Jeeps go by. If you're ever there in Jeep week, there's super cool things just, you know, sitting around town. <laughs> so those big rides too, like Matt mentioned, you can go out there for a weekend and do somewhere upwards of 60 miles. And, you know, that's just three trails. So yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah pretty awesome you get really tired you uh, you earn that beer at the end of the ride and mm -hmm. i think that's that's pretty uh appealing yeah yeah what about you matt anything else add i think um you know and this might be why like moab still stays and at the top of the list for a lot of people but they've gotten more well-rounded as a mountain bike destination i believe and that there are more beginner trails to where before i mean even 
Slick Rock was sort of like the beginner trail a while ago, and that's still a really tough trail. Yeah. And so now it's gotten better, I think, with like Klondike Bluffs and Navajo Rocks. The Klonzo Loops. Yeah. Yep. Those. There's like an alternate to Porcupine Rim now. Was it like Falcon Flow or something like that? <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, I think it's rounding out more. So, and basically what I'm getting at is that like, I think for a good destination, you have to have trails that offer something for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, not just uh, advanced and experienced riders, but a lot of people like to mountain bike these days. And and so is it inclusive, I guess, is the best way to describe it. And then, um, yeah, scenery, scenery definitely helps the infrastructure. Like you mentioned, Jeff, I think, you know, if you're making money as a destination for mountain bikers, if you've gotten to town, like you want to feel like you're welcome and, and people want you there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Do you go into a coffee shop and are there like little kitschy wheels hanging up and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Things that are like, Oh yeah, these are my people. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you know, I would also add one other thing. There are babysitters in Moab. Um, I know that sounds Ooh. weird, but um, speaking of having those beginner trails, you know, we would go out and ride the Klonzo trails or the Klondike trails with younger kids. But then we would also want to ride, you know, maybe one longer trail, Mag 7 or the whole enchilada or something like would take many hours. So the availability of in-town babysitters, <laughs> I know, I know that sounds silly, but that's a huge plus if you can find a destination that also has some services like that so that you're able to do adult things and also kid things. That's a, a huge draw for me as well. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's, that's a good pro tip. <laughs> kind of has it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember going to Moab for the first time. And I mean, I'm pretty sure the whole enchilada wasn't a thing back then. I mean, that was maybe... 17 years ago first time that i was there so yeah like to your point matt that like moab continues to grow the trail offerings and sort of diversify the the rides that you can do there i mean if you do the whole enchilada it's it's pretty amazing because you start like you know way up in the high alpine and there's trees and greenery and then you know by the end of the ride you're you're back at porcupine rim and like in the desert and and on the rocks and yeah it's just amazing you can ride all of that kind of in one area and then um the other thing that i think is cool about moab you know it started with uh outer bike uh, having that demo event there but i think a lot of people like to go to moab and like rent a bike you know, like a nicer bike than what they normally ride or like, you know, maybe they're a trail rider and they're like, I want to try an enduro bike. And because so many people go there and those shops like, you know, see so many rentals, there's a good chance you'll be able to find like pretty new bikes, different bikes that that you maybe don't have access to back at home. And for me, that's a big draw for destinations is like being able to to demo bikes and, and try new things and new riding styles and Moab. It's definitely a great place for that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you want to hit all the climates, start at Whole Enchilada. It's, half the time it's snowing, I think, at the top. <laughs> Just a little bit. And then at the bottom, it's 95. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So incredible. All right, number two on our list was Sedona. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about Sedona. I've never been, so give me, give me kind of the lowdown. Yeah, it's – I want to say – the way it's set up is 
in a way very different than uh, than Moab, where I don't think Sedona is known for like its big epic uh, trail routes, but mm-hmm. a lot of smaller networks and stuff that you can basically ride from town. Well, nearly as much uh, slick rock um, and tech and that kind of riding that you would uh, see in Moab, but it definitely has, or it definitely has a different flavor. So yeah, I would say smaller networks, really close to town, and much more of a town than Moab. Oh, cool, Chris. You've been there a number of times, haven't you? What What's your take on Sedona? Yeah, I actually started going there when the festival started go being there. I guess the Sedona mm-hmm. Mountain Bike Festival, which is probably my favorite festival of the year. I think that's in early March now, other than that one COVID year. (laughs) But I just, I don't know if it's the vortices. I know that sounds really crazy, but um, it just feels good there. It feels good wherever you look. It's beautiful. It's stunning. Um, The trails are super fun. I had someone describe the trails as cross-country trails, which is not how I would describe (laughs) most of those trails. Though, I mean, there's just you know, the cactus, rocks, all sorts of terrain. You can go, like Matt said, to a separate little trail networks, ride some loops. And I just think it's the scenery for me there. And they do have an abundance of restaurants and hotels, and there's never a shortage. Even during the festival, you can find a hotel pretty easily for pretty affordable prices, which is awesome. And you can go out and have a nice meal afterwards. And then, of course, they have other things like art and crystal shops and all the <laughs> things that people might be into to feel uh, really good about whatever they're doing. So I just think Sedona is maybe one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And so for me, that was, is the key. And I mean, the trails are hard in my opinion. Most of them are pretty, yeah, pretty decently tiring at the end of the day Mm. but and it's one of those destinations you can go when it's cold here so right you know more desert even in the winter one year the festival had a hundred year snowstorm right before it and it snowed 18 inches but that rarely happens so the trails are typically really rideable most of the year as well which makes that a huge plus yeah that's cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I know Sedona before mountain bikers kind of adopted it as a, a top destination. Yeah, had that reputation for that like mysticism and spiritual <laughs> kind yeah. of stuff. Is is there like a good interaction with mountain bikers and like the folks who are there to do that stuff? Like, does it feel welcoming as a mountain biker when you're there? Yeah, I I think over the years that's changed into more welcoming attitude because. I think mountain bikers have brought a lot of, you know, revenue into that area and certainly they've brought a lot of crowds. So the only the only issue I ever have there is is parking at some of the at some of the trails now whereas they used to be fairly empty there's an abundance of of vans for one from mountain bikers and hikers, but everybody's super friendly. I've never had a bad interaction on a trail with a hiker or a runner or horses or anything like that. So I would say overall, the the town's really embraced mountain biking even more so in the last five years. And it feels pretty welcoming to me. I don't know if anyone else has had a different experience, but I've never had a, a terrible experience in Sedona. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Well, 
hopefully, hopefully the mountain bikers are bringing that good energy and, and, you know, it's a good harmonious relationship because yeah, there's a lot of hiking and, and people that are there for different reasons. Um, and in a place that's traditionally been sort of a tourism destination, but yeah, it's cool to see all the bike trails and it sounds like they're developing in sort of the greater Sedona area. They continue to develop more trails. Um, you know, we've talked to Kevin from the Verde Valley Cycling Coalition and, I mean, they've got on the books, they've got dozens and dozens of miles of new trail projects. And so it seems pretty likely that Sedona is going to stay up there as one of those top destinations. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the few issues that you mentioned, like parking and, you know, potentially crowded trails, um, hopefully some of that will be eliminated in the future. So it'll still be top draw for folks. Yeah. I think it helps too. They've got like some of those you know, I don't know if you call them like novel features, but you know, things like the white line trail yeah, or hangover high line, like those things that are like very Instagrammable for mountain bikers. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, you see them on social media and like, it's sort of an attraction itself. You're like, okay, I want to go out there and like, see what this is about and yeah, maybe look <laughs> at it or say, I'm going to ride it and then get there and decide against it because you know, <laughs> it's terrifying. So, right. Yeah. Disclaimer, don't ride the white line unless you are a professional mountain biker. Right. <laughs> it is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point that a lot of these do have that sort of iconic trail and whether people ride it or not, it does tend to draw people who want to see it for themselves and, and potentially ride it for themselves. But yeah, I, I won't be riding that white line trail anytime soon yeah no okay so the next one on our list number three i believe was bentonville arkansas and honestly this one surprised me even a few years ago maybe it wasn't that long ago a couple of years ago bentonville crowned itself the mountain bike capital of the world i rolled my eyes at that i will be honest but yeah, a lot of people did yeah <laughs> But, you know, Matt and I have reported on Bentonville and, and shared a lot of the work that's been going on there. Neither of us have been. But, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that there's a huge investment that's been made and a lot of unique trails there and places to ride and businesses popping up to cater to mountain bikers. And everybody I've talked to who's been has had a, a pretty great experience. And, Chris, you're the – of the three of us, you're the only one who's been. So tell us about Benville. What's, what's so great about the riding there? The, the resident expert. <laughs> yeah, I had the, I guess I had the pleasure of going down there when they first started really adding a significant amount of trails. I was working for IMBA at the time and they were working with the Walton Foundation and um, a lot of trail builders down there building new trails. And since then it's grown tremendously since the first time I've been there, but mm -hmm. just generally speaking, it's really nice to be able to ride out of town, which is similar to, to uh, Sedona in that you can ride from the center of Bentonville and you can get on relatively short trails. So you can make a lot of loops. You can ride a lot of different trails. And now they have, you know, this whole greenway that connects mm all of the little trail networks they've been building in nearby cities even. So you've got Rogers and Fayetteville and Bella Vista. And I think that holistically we 
we say Bentonville or people say Bentonville, but what they mean is that whole Northwest Arkansas area, because there's a lot of trails, a lot of different type of trails and a lot of, per, you know, it's all purpose built, which makes it extremely fun for mountain bikers. And there's not really ever hikers or runners or I never see other people out there. So it feels like it's just for mountain biking, though it is not specifically for mountain biking. And of course, the community and has really rallied it with growing that space specifically for mountain biking because they see the the benefits to having a lot of trails in their town. And they're trying to recreate that in other places in the Midwest, especially where they just didn't have a lot of natural hiking trails or just natural trails. So Mm -hmm. it's really fun. The community embraces it fully everywhere you go. Most things are mountain bike themed, if not all things are mountain (laughs) bike themed. But yeah, I mean, it's just fun. If I were, if I were to go again, I would love to have an e-bike if I'm being honest, just because the trails, if you connect them from town to town or in that greenway space, you are riding a fair amount of, you know, kind of boring trail or sidewalk or something like that. But you can just pop in at any moment, just pop into one side and find a trail to ride that parallels the the greenway. And, and you can just, you can get lost <laughs> pretty easily, yeah. but then you're always there. You're always somewhere. You can always pop out into a town and figure out where you are. So it is pretty fun. And obviously, you know, they've been growing those trails for some number of years and they're always adding more. So every time you go, there's something new you could ride. Yeah. I, I mean, I think for me that what sounds appealing is being able to ride to a lot of the trails from where you're staying. And for a lot of these destinations, that might mean like camping, um, some of them have good spots where you can camp right at the trail and you can just wake up in the morning and, and jump on your bike. For me, if I have a choice between sleeping on the ground or sleeping in a bed in a hotel, I'm going to choose the hotel. So yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome that those trails are so accessible from town. Sounds like a big draw. Yeah. Any thoughts from you, Matt, about Bentonville and how the, the scene has kind of developed there over the years? Yeah, I'm really excited to check it out at, at some point. Um, I've had a handful of friends that uh, all reside in Colorado and have gone out there at some point in the past year or two. And um, everyone on, or every one of them that's come back has had nothing but good things to say. You know, yeah, I think like Chris said, it's everything's designed for mountain bikers. And so you get out there and it feels like the trails are made for you because they are. And I've also heard that as you know, a new mountain bike destination, I guess this is like, we've come to expect different things from the diversity in trails there, but the trails are from what I've heard a lot more progressive. So, Mm. um, it's easier for a beginner to go out there and and really enjoy the trails and, and easier for a beginner and an advanced rider to go out there and enjoy them together because Mm. there's so many features and, and different things that you can ride all in the same, uh, in the same ride. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. One, I mean, one of the criticisms that I've heard, I think at least one person commented that they thought the trails were sort of all very similar there. Like they they felt like there wasn't a big variety of the types of trails, which, I mean, it seems, seems like that could be a valid argument, except for the fact that like you're saying a lot of those trails, they are progressive. And so it's really up to the rider to kind of decide what kind of ride do you want to do? And yeah, I mean, if you're out there just riding the same way and doing the same thing every day, then that 
that's pretty boring. But <laughs> if you're like, okay, today I'm going to go hit, you know, all the jumps on this trail, or, you know, I just want to do like a cross country ride and just kind of, you know, more flowy, like you can do all those things, but really it's, it's not the trail that's going to do it for you. It's, it's kind of, I think sounds like it's the rider needs to consciously make that, that decision. Yeah. I would say with all the, uh, different trail building organizations that have collided in Bentonville, so to speak. If you look for them, if you find them, there are tons of different trails that like Rock Solid built or mm. Gravity Logic actually came down and built some trails in Bella Vista, I believe. And, you know, that's those are bigger jump lines that if you didn't go seek them out, you wouldn't necessarily end up there. Mm -hmm. So I think to Matt's point, for sure, a lot of the trails from the center of town, I would say, are you know, feel similar and they're beginner friendly mm -hmm. for most of them. But then as you branch out or as you get kind of further away from the center, there are certainly features that you can find that will challenge yourself. If you go and want to just ride cross country, you could also do that. So I don't think they're entirely similar, though it does feel similar in the sense that you're kind of always in the woods which that's one thing I would say, while it is different than here, it's not necessarily super scenic um, or how I think of super scenic. I would love to see huge mountains or lakes or the desert or, you know, something. And, and you're always just kind of in the woods here. So there's not really a lot to look at. So it does feel similar wherever you are in that sense. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. One of the things that stands out to me about Bentonville too, is if you look at the list that we have and I'm kind of counting and making generalizations, but probably eight of the 12 are older destinations and they all have very natural type of terrain to where is at least from what I've seen in Bentonville, there's a lot of flow trails, jump trails, things like that. Yeah. I think when we get down and talk a bit about Vermont, mm -hmm. that will probably stand out there too. And, and maybe Copper Harbor as well, but a lot of these other destinations, yeah, very natural kind of, old school, raw and great trails, but a different feel than what you might see in Bentonville. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Yeah. They, they sort of make up for that lack of the natural terrain with, with stuff that is purpose built and that's made for people to enjoy. And obviously people do. So yeah, good distinction. So number four, we've got the Grand Valley, Colorado. And for those aren't, who aren't familiar with the Grand Valley, that's also known, I believe, as the Western Slope. And we're talking about Fruta, Grand Junction, uh, even Palisade. So, Matt, you've been there probably the most recently. Although, Chris, you're always traveling, so you, you probably were there yeah, recently, Yeah, she spends a lot too. of time there, too. <laughs> but, but I'm going to let Matt start it off uh, and talk to us a little bit about the Grand Valley. Yeah, I, I, for... Denver area riders, especially, it's kind of like a spring pilgrimage. Um, cause those are often like the first trails that dry up by February or March. And so it's kind of just like, Hey, go to the desert, get some miles in and start breaking your legs in. But yeah, I, I feel like Fruta for a long time has been sort of like the flagship out of, out of those three towns. And, you know, because of Horse Thief or the Cocopelli trails out there, 18 road. I mean, honestly, those two networks like take up the bulk of what Fruta is known for. Mm -hmm. But then if you go to beyond, you know, go out to Grand Junction and I mean, you can spend a whole day at lunch loops easily and, and just wear yourself out. 
And for a while, Palisade, really all it had was the Rim Trail, um, which is maybe nine miles. And there's some really great views and some techie riding. But now that they've added the plunge, I think they're seeing a lot more visitors. So, yeah, uh, Fruta is the most far west. Grand Junction's in the middle. And then Palisade's the most far east. And they're still, what, maybe 45 minutes apart. Hmm. So a lot of trails within that corridor. Yeah. Chris, what do you think? Do do most people like, do you know a lot of people who go out just to ride the Grand Valley or do people tend to like sort of tack that on to a Moab trip and, and hit both? As Matt mentioned, it sort of depends on the time of year, I would say, and the amount of time you have and what you intend to do. If, if you have younger kid, kids, children, um, or, or beginner riders, Fruta at the 18 roads trailheads are, is an amazing place to stay. There's a lot of camping, a lot more. They've recently invested a lot Mm. in building those parking lots and infrastructures for camping there. And the trails are nice, easy loops. They do have shuttles as an option. And I I believe the shuttle's like a hay wagon, which is the best. (laughs) Wow. Um, The last time I was on the shuttle, it was a giant hay wagon. Just some people that like to shuttle, it's free. So that's really nice. But, you know, a lot of people say they're going to go to Moab and then they just stay there because there are a lot of trails in that area. Mm-hmm. And as Matt mentioned, the Cocopelli loops are pretty significant in miles and there's no shortage of technical things on those trails. So I would say it depends on how long you have. If I were going out for a week, I would stop in both. And sometimes I just bypass the Grand Valley and go straight to Moab. Mm-hmm. It just totally depends if the weather's, you know, how the weather is. Is it raining? Is it colder? Sometimes it can be chilly in the spring, of course. So eh, that's, a, that's a tricky question, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so Matt, you mentioned one of the newest trails or routes that a lot of people are talking about this year is the Palisade Plunge. And that one is, is kind of tricky because Given the name, it sounds like it's this like descent where you can just get shuttled to the top and just like, you know, let go of the brakes and, and coast down. But that's not the case, right? And you got to ride it pretty early on. What did you think about the plunge? Is that something that's like worth traveling to do? Or is that like just a nice thing to add on to like one day of your trip? Or, or what's kind of your, your feeling about the plunge? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting moment for it right now because it's starting to get a lot of press and not necessarily for uh, the right reasons mm-hmm. and that people have, yeah, had to, well, somebody passed away a month or two ago. People have had to be evacuated from the trail. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot more than I think a lot of people expect when they go out to ride it because at first it was sort of advertised it as, you know, the plunge. And I think <laughs> people maybe would have equated it to Colorado's version of uh, Porcupine Rim mm-hmm. or the whole enchilada, but it's not. And I, it's funny, two nights ago, I reread because there's another piece on Colorado Public Radio that came out two days ago about it and about how people around the area and organizations are changing their approach to how they market it. And so I went and reread my piece that I wrote after writing it last fall. And when I talked to Scott Winans from Kotmoba. And yeah, it's not a big, you know, epic descent Mm -hmm. to kind of like recap what he said. It's, it's 2000 ish feet of climbing and seven ish 
thousand feet of descending, mm-hmm. but it's over 30 something miles. And so the average grade is really only around three or 4%. Okay. Um, and so it's not like this rush of, you know, hauling ass downhill for extended hours. And I mean, it is technically downhill, but it's not that downhill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you're still pedaling a lot. I remember just thinking, Hey, we're earning our turns the whole way down, <laughs> even though we got shuttled up here. And yeah. it was with a group of all really advanced riders, like people in the industry and bike journalists who do spend a lot of time with their computers, but also still ride a lot. <laughs> and everyone was whooped afterwards. You know, it's, it's a hard ride for sure. So yeah, it's kind of playing out in real time now. And hopefully people are consuming that information being safe when they go out and ride it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, one of the most well-known sort of shuttle descents like that in Colorado is the Monarch Crest Mm -hmm. trail. And I've done that one several times. How does it compare to that? Because I feel like Monarch Crest, you do climb a good bit, mostly at the beginning. Yeah. Is it similar to that in terms of like effort and sort of the like pedaling to descending ratio or is it, is it even more intense than that? No, I mean, the plunge feels like just more of an all day backcountry ride with some, some cool descents mixed in here and there, but you're still pedaling a lot throughout most of it. It's probably been five or six years since I've done the crest, but you do have some really big descents on the crest that, mm-hmm. you know, and those are big mountains. So it's like big mountain riding and big mountain descents. So no, you do feel like you're getting a lot more descending on the crest, I would say. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That sounds like a, a cool one for sure to check out, but yeah, I feel like having the right expectations going in is key. I mean, that's, that's true with anything, right? Like you're going to enjoy it more if you know what you're getting into and, and you're not having expectations that it's just going to be like easy and just yeah lots of yeah descending the whole way down. So good to know. All right. So next on our list, another Colorado destination, we've got Crested Butte. And this one, we kind of were like hedging and saying, well, let's include Gunnison. And then I think I brought up like Salida. Is that a destination? And we were like, well, not by itself, but maybe it's kind of in that zone, but not really. So Chris, tell us a little bit about Crested Butte. Is that somewhere you go fairly often living in Colorado? I go to it every few years, but I wouldn't say fairly often. And and I guess that's kind of what makes it a destination. It's not extremely easy to get to right. in that it's at least a four or five hour drive, depending on how fast you drive or how many tickets you get in between. <laughs> but the, the drive is beautiful. I'll give it that. But you do have to go over, you know, many mountain passes and windy roads. So mm-hmm. I don't go there as, as often as you might think. But I think that's what makes it so cool is that it's difficult to get to for you can't really Mm -hmm. fly into Crested Butte either. You would have to fly into neighboring airport that's probably a few hours away and drive there. Um, What makes it really awesome is it's that, you know, it's in the mountains and. In theory, I guess it was the the birthplace of mountain biking, though. Everyone will argue that. So, you (laughs) know, take that for what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and the rides are long and they're in the mountains, high alpine there. I mean, the scenery is gorgeous. The town is super cute and they do have all of those little amenities that you're looking for. And of course, they've embraced mountain biking as well as skiing. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of the towns that are on this list, it's a mountain bike ski town as well. So it's pretty easy to transition between those 
sports and make it really focus on in the summer on one and winter on the other. But I mean, I can't, you can't beat the scenery on some of those, those trails out there. <laughs> it's hard to, uh, yeah. hard to state how beautiful those are. And of course, like with Gunnison so close, there's a little bit bigger of a town nearby. There's the, mm-hmm. the blue, was it the blue reservoir? What's that reservoir called, Matt? It's really, really cold. The Mesa. The Mesa. There, there's like the freezing cold lake. So if you really want to mm-hmm. do a polar plunge, even in the summer, you can jump into that. <laughs> At the end of a ride, you can pop over there. So yeah, I, I really like Crested Butte. It's just so cute. Yeah. Yeah. And given sort of its location, I mean, like you said, it's it's not easy to get to. It's basically at the end of the road. I mean, the road just kind of ends there and you're surrounded by mountains. And it's definitely like a summer destination. I mean, the the riding season is is pretty limited, right? I mean, like late June, maybe to August, September. I don't know. Yeah, it depends on the snowpack. Um, Sometimes in you know, just like Monarch Crest, sometimes the riding starts a lot later because the mm-hmm. snowpack is so large and it's really muddy still, or it's still packed with snow. So it yeah. is variable. So if you plan a trip there, be safe and <laughs> plan it in the two months <laughs> that you know. <laughs> right, right. And I think that's kind of why we were thinking to include Gunnison and sort of the surrounding area, because some of some of the trails outside of Crested Butte do tend to be rideable for more of the year. Um, and so there are more of those options. What do you think about Crested Butte, Matt? Yeah, similar. I mean, I was there two years ago last. And I mean, every time you're there, it's on any trail, you, you just look around and you're kind of in awe. Mm. And of course, like, yeah, town's super awesome. There's little distilleries and um, amazing restaurants, beautiful camping, amazing trails and definitely like some of the hardest riding that I think is around the States because I remember the last, uh, last trail we did there, it was like, okay, cool. This is only 2000 feet of climbing, (laughs) but you start at like 9,500 feet and you're going up to (laughs) 11.5. And so it's, it's only 2000, but you're at, I mean, for me, that's like twice the elevation that I'm used to starting at. And so everything just takes longer. They're older trails too. So they're steeper and Mm -hmm. tougher to get to the top of, but in my experience, always worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say they have true single track there as well, Mm -hmm. which is fun to see because usually it's a little bit wider than an actual single track, but a lot of these trails are very truly single track. Yeah. Yeah. Super, absolutely. Super beautiful up there. And, and, Right. Because a lot of the trails are so remote, they don't get a lot of traffic and the limited season, too. I mean, the, a lot of those trails are are just not being used for much of the year. And I would say still to this day, when people ask me, like, oh, what's your favorite trail? I usually say Trail 401 in Crested Butte mm. is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. And not because it's like amazing single track or technical anything or, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty plain. I mean, you even, it's a like fire road climb up. You're on a road, a gravel road and, but it's totally because of the scenery and just taking all of that in. It's kind of unbelievable that you're able to ride somewhere like that. So yeah, definitely stands out for me. And it's one I, I would recommend to anybody who's interested in yes, the scenery as much as they are like the trail itself for sure. Okay, so next up, we got another mountain town. This one, uh, a little more developed, 
then Crested Butte. We've got Park City, Utah. So Park City, for those who don't know, it's not too far away from Salt Lake City. So you've got access to a big airport, big city. So a lot of people from Salt Lake go up and ride in Park City during the summers. And there are a number of resorts there too that are running their lifts. You know, either some have like bike parky type stuff set up. Others are more uh, natural single track where you can take the lift up and ride some of the higher alpine trails in the summer. Matt, what do you think about Park City? What stands out and, and makes it like a special mountain bike destination for you? Uh, well, it's, isn't it a Imba Gold? Yeah, it was the first one. It was the first one. Yeah, so that carries some weight to it for sure. Mm-hmm. I actually went there for the first time last year and I only rode Deer Valley, but it was definitely one of the best bike parks I've been to in a while. Some awesome downhill trails and yeah, a bunch of good stuff on that mountain. And then yeah, a great town as well. But my experience there has been pretty limited. Yeah, aside from riding the the bike park and going out into town a little bit. Uh, I did some gravel there when I was there too. And that seemed pretty excellent, but yeah, yeah, not much aside from that. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Have you been out to Park City? I have only been there once for riding. I've been there many times for skiing, but so I liked the trail. I don't remember what it was even called at this point. I, we were like popping through. So I can't, I don't have too much to say about the trails. Obviously the scenery near Salt Lake city is beautiful. Park city is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's probably very, a very convenient destination for that whole Valley. So that part of Utah, but I don't have a lot of insight into what it's really like. Cause I haven't written enough out there. Yeah. I've been out a couple of times and what's cool is the, I mean, obviously the resort areas and like all the ski mountains around there have trails just like going every direction. And there's some cool stuff you can do like up higher on the ridges. That's pretty well known, like the mid mountain trail. But then they also have a good bit of trail like in town, like lower down stuff, even like closer to the highway where there's starting to be like more residential development like out just outside of the park city city limits and so yeah i feel like there's a lot of variety no matter where you stay like if you're staying in the the town of park city or if you're staying at like you know somewhere outside you're still going to have good access to trails and they're starting to do more of the like progressive trails away from the resorts where you know these are like public sort of bike parks where you'll see neighborhood kids messing around and you know it's it's fun to take families to those places and yeah it's just a great again like one of those spots where there's a ton of infrastructure like if you want to rent a bike you need to fix your bike you want someone to like show you around there's all of that stuff there in addition to just yeah great restaurants and and beer and you know Everything, everything you could want there, uh, it's definitely set up for, for mountain bike tourism, which is great. Okay, number seven, we're getting back to the East Coast, and <laughs> we, maybe I, put Pisgah at number seven. And for those who don't know, Pisgah is the name of the national forest uh, that's located in the western part of North Carolina. And... 
generally when people are talking about that area, they're going to be staying or basing their trip out of a town called Brevard or Asheville, which most people have heard of. And now there's another area that's starting to be developed around Old Fort, which is sort of the easternmost part of the basically the the Pisgah area or what people refer to as Pisgah. So, yeah, I don't think neither of you guys have been to Pisgah, have you? No. Nope. Negative. <laughs> it's too east. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is definitely it's definitely east. It's certainly a destination from here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> it is interesting that that I don't think you get a lot of tourists, mountain bike tourists from the west that come out to Pisgah. Most of the folks that I've run into out there are from the East Coast, um, people Eastern Canada as well. But yeah, it tends to be one of those spots that it's very different. It's very different from the riding out West in terms of how difficult it is. There isn't a lot of like really beginner friendly or even stuff that's friendly to the folks who are like casual riders, you know, who may not be like super biking shape uh to be riding these trails a lot of them they are just super remote and uh technically challenging there's no like lift service or there's very little opportunity to even shuttle um a, a lot of the folks there are <laughs> kind of opposed to that idea of shuttling trails a lot of people feel like you need to earn your turns and some of the trails I'd noticed people had these stickers made up uh, with a picture of a badminton shuttlecock and it's got like an X through it. And so they don't, <laughs> they don't want you shuttling certain trails that are technically wow. shuttleable. But um, yeah, I, I guess people figure that ruins the vibe on some of them, but yeah, fortunately the folks up there have started to recognize that those trails are challenging and for core riders, that's great. That's why we go there. Um, some of the best riding on the East Coast, most scenic. Again, like Bentonville, you're in the trees the whole time. Very rarely will you get to pop out and, and have a view. But when you do have those views, they're amazing. Again, some of the best on the East Coast. But the folks in the area, some of the local bike clubs and, and like the tourism groups there are recognizing the need for these more accessible trails. And so you are starting to see projects like the one in old fort uh, developing where there's going to be more beginner intermediate level trails and old fort by the way is where kitspo is they relocated yeah. there um and so there's kind of like a like a hub that's developing where the kitspo factory is and there's like breweries and stuff happening there um that will all be sort of rideable right from the downtown area of old fort and then also there's always been the option to ride DuPont State Forest, which technically is not in Pisgah. It's not in the Pisgah National Forest, but it is a really great riding spot with some uh, pretty unique topography. It's got a lot of like exposed granite. And so I've heard people call it like the Moab of the East. It's really nothing like Moab, but just the fact that the, you're riding on exposed rocks and so um, it tends to be less technical riding there. There's some really good flow trails there that, that people will go to ride. And so, yeah, there, there's starting to be more of those options for people 
families and, and people who are just starting out with biking, they could really enjoy. So yeah. And the, the infrastructure continues to grow there as well. Hopefully, hopefully you guys can come out and visit sometime. I would love to. I get invited all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do it. It's gotta yeah. be like the premier destination or mountain bike area on, I guess maybe not the entirety of the East coast, but at least like the Southeast or yeah. mid East to lower East. <laughs> How do you say that? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to think of somewhere that is better known and, and probably better visited. And I think it benefits from being sort of, yeah, like you said, more Southern uh, on the mm-hmm. East coast. So the weather is better. You know, you could, you can ride there pretty much year round. There may be an occasional like snowstorm or ice or something, but for the most part, you can ride there year round. It's usually wet. Ooh, that sounds scary. <laughs> but the trails are, you know, they're always open too. I mean, it's not one of these places where you're going to be damaging the trails. I mean, certain ones for sure, uh, like the more machine cut stuff, but the older, you know, more remote trails, like, a lot of them, people ride them in the rain and they hold up just fine to that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think, I think Pisgah is, is one of those that'll continue to get more popular as sort of the variety of trail experiences opens up. Okay. Number eight on our list. We're jumping back to the other coast, sort of, uh, Lake Tahoe. So Lake Tahoe straddles California and Nevada. Chris, have you ridden at Lake Tahoe? I have never even been to Lake Tahoe. <laughs> Do you want to go? Does it sound like an appealing mountain bike destination? Yeah, there was a race there. It was more of a cross-country oriented race, and I forgot what it was called, but I thought Matt did it, but I think he did the one in Canada. Is that correct, Matt? What was that? You were training for it a couple of years ago. Yeah, I did BC bike race. Yeah, it wasn't that, but there is a race around the lake at one point, um, that I did want to go to, but it was impossible to get into seemingly kind of like the Leadville 100. You had to qualify some other race or you had to win the lottery and I never won the lottery. So I just gave up. (laughs) I never went, (laughs) but yeah, I would love to go. Um, it sounds beautiful. I mean, it's obviously Lake Tahoe is very scenic and that whole area is, is pretty beautiful. So I'd love to see it, but I haven't, so I can't really comment. Yeah. Yeah, huge tourism area has been forever since before mountain bikes, since way before mountain bikes. And so, again, this is one of those that we've kind of co-opted and and bikers have realized over the years. It's a great place to ride. You've got the Tahoe Rim Trail, which a lot of that is open to mountain bikes. Some of it is not. So, you know, unfortunately, you can't do like a, you know, Tahoe Rim Trail. I always thought that would be awesome to do like a circumnavigation bikepacking sort of trip because yeah, it's just so beautiful looking out from those mountains out over the lake. Um, and then, so yeah, Matt, you and I went out there a few years ago as part of Interbike that one time that it was in Reno and we got to ride at North star. what do you think about the riding there at North star? Um, I really liked it. Yeah. I remember it being very, I, I think this is, Typical from what I hear uh, a lot in that region, but yeah, dry, dusty, but the yeah trails were awesome. It's good flow, good techie trails, uh, wooden features, things like that. 
yeah, I really enjoyed riding there. Yeah. Yeah. The bike park is, is really well run, uh, obviously lift serviced in the summer. So you can, you can leave your climbing legs at home if you want to. Um, but then, yeah, there are still great trails that you can access even from North star. So you can like ride the lift up and then just like head out. Um, I know I've done a ride where you, you start at the top of North star and then you descend down the other side of the mountain and end up at the lake, which is, is pretty awesome. And yeah, there's like great gravel roads out there, um, to ride and single track. And then for the folks that live up there, they've developed a few of these like progressive skills parks, uh, public parks that are, you know, open to anybody who's visiting or, or who are local there to, to learn how to jump and ride skinnies and rocks and stuff. And I've found that at least our kids, like they're not always into going on trail rides necessarily, but they will spend, you know, a few hours at a skills park just messing around. And so I think to me, that's one of the like underrated things that we don't always think about when we're, we're looking at like a place to go ride our bikes, but you know, these, these little tiny skills parks can actually be a huge draw, especially for families. And so, yeah, it's cool to see that they have that option there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I remember it being very scenic. Um, I mean, Lake Tahoe is, feels like the ocean sometimes. It's so <laughs> yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super pretty area. For sure. Yeah. And a huge draw, obviously for folks in California, um, probably, Outside of like Sedona, Sedona's maybe for Southern California folks, not, not too bad to get out there. Um, and then for, yeah, more Northern California, I think Lake Tahoe is a, a big draw for sure. Okay. Number nine, Copper Harbor. So this is a new one on the list since we last updated this in 2016. Um, People were riding in Copper Harbor in 2016. It's not that new, but it is one of those places that's been, I don't know, I would almost call it like a slow burn with like people kind of <laughs> realizing like, huh, okay, like it's pretty far away, but I've heard a lot of good things. So Chris, we're just talking, you actually just got back from Copper Harbor and yep. this was what, your seventh trip? Is that what you yes. said? Oh my yep. goodness. So what's so good about Copper Harbor? Cause neither Matt or I have, have been there. Well, back to the first things I mentioned about what I'm looking for in a destination. There's no cell phone service at all <laughs> in Copper Harbor. Um, it's really? at the very, very, very top of Michigan, the UP. It's literally across from Canada on Lake Superior. Mm -hmm. And it's very scenic in a, in a super different way than out here in Colorado where I'm based <laughs> So you've got Lake Superior, it, to Matt's point about Lake Tahoe, it feels like it's the ocean that you're looking at, like you're waving at Canada somewhere over yeah. there, but you could see no land on the other side. But the trails there, they've just done such a great job at making a really nice accessible trail network right from the small, small center of town. Mm. And they're just fun. And you pop out all the time to see the lake and to see there are mountains up there as well. But the trails are fun. They're, you know, I would say mostly truly single track or very close to that. And they're not, there's not a ton of, though they are purpose built in a sense, um, there's not a ton of 
it doesn't feel that way to me. It feels very natural. Mm. There's a lot of little rocks and roots and they do certainly have some trestles of sorts like bridges and, and things like that, but it feels really natural. There's a lot of different skill levels that you can ride there. And the reason I go there actually is to coach a women's weekend every, every year. So most of the women are coming from the Midwest and this is maybe some of the most technical trail riding that they see in that area. So it's, it's a really cool little, little nothing town. It never feels crowded, even at the peak of summer. And their riding season there is also very short because they have very heavy winters and a really late spring. Mm. So people come there specifically to ride mountain bikes or go on the lake. Mm-hmm. So you don't see a ton of people walk, actually see no people walking the trails ever. It's only bikers. And even during, you know, one of these mountain bike weekends it never feels crowded and they do have a shuttle service for those who want to just downhill but i just think it's super fun little network and they're adding more every time i go up there um the owner of rock solid i believe lives up there for a lot of the year and so he's been building a section called east bluff and those are definitely different than the original trails that were there. There's a lot more jumps, a lot more uh, rock features, of course, and drops and, and things like that. So it's, it's expanding every time I go up there too. So they've been doing a really good job at that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Copper Harbor stands out to me on this list as like a true destination. I mean, if we're trying to decide like, Oh, is this a destination or not? I mean, the full-time population that lives up there is like a few hundred people, I think. Right. Yeah. And yet they, they say there's hundreds of thousands of people who visit every year. Yeah. And so like that ratio to me is like, that's pretty incredible. Like it's obvious that people are going there with a purpose. And like you said, a big part of that purpose is for mountain biking. I mean, yeah. Who knows, who knows how much of that would exist without, biking. Yeah. And yeah, Matt, you've, you've talked to some folks, you've done a couple of stories about the trails up there and and the access and the trail builders. Like what's, what's your sense of, of the community of riders and the folks that are there? Like, is, is that part of what makes it a destination? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think Copper Harbor is like one of those places that, you know, maybe 10, probably something like 10, 15 years ago where mountain bike destinations were still like kind of a new concept. And, um, Aaron Rogers, who runs rock solid, um, him and well, he worked at Imba for a while too, but just having that influence. And I think knowing the potential of like what trails could do mm-hmm. started shaping a lot of stuff that, um, knew would captivate mountain bikers interests. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's obviously played out pretty well for him. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's really just one of those, one of those places and destinations that early on had a really good idea of mountain bike specific trails. Yeah. And the folks who are there, I mean, they're really advocating for, for more trails and for access for trails and, and making sure that, that that resource is available and not just for them. I mean, I always imagine it's tough to live in a place like that and to be like a, an advocate or a volunteer that's like helping build and maintain trails. I I would feel like, man, I'm putting all this work in and then all these people from out of town come in and they get to enjoy it. And you know, what, 
you know, what's the benefit to me? And it seems like they are totally okay with that. They're, they're totally just like, <laughs> we want to build a great place for people to ride. And, and we know that, that most of these people are, are just here, you know, for a few days or a week or whatever. And, and they're not going to be able to give back, but like, we want to provide this and we want to make sure that it's here for them. And that's to me, that's, that's super cool. Yeah. It's not an easy place to get to. So you really have to want to get there. The closest airport only has one, maybe two flights in and out every day. It's pretty expensive to fly in, especially if you're having a, a bike with you. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty far for even people in Michigan to drive to because Michigan's really long. <laughs> so, yeah. and I don't know that the, it's a huge economic, I mean, obviously there's, you know, you get money from tourism, but there's actually only one real hotel there and with one restaurant in it. And there's a few little breweries and food trucks here and there. Most of people camp up there. So I don't know how much revenue is actually coming in from the tourism or not, but clearly enough that they can stay afloat. But the winter time, there's like 300 inches of snow up there. And I think (laughs) so it's, (laughs) it's really, really remote in the winter because it's so frigid, Mm -hmm. which makes it really tolerable in the summer. So even at the high, you know, it's 75, oh, wow. which is lovely with a light breeze. <laughs> Man, that sounds really good right about now in August in Georgia. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number 10, we're back from the middle of the country. Now we're going back to the East Coast. And number 10, we have Kingdom Trails, Vermont. And this one, I think maybe is a new one from our 2016 list as well. And it also happens to be the only one on this list that none of the three of us have actually visited. Uh, Matt, you and I, we have ridden in Vermont, but not Kingdom Trails. And you've covered Kingdom Trails and spoken with the folks who, who help run the Kingdom Trails Association there. What do you think makes that area so good for riding and, and make it such a destination for people? Yeah, it... I mean, as far as I know, it's just, it's an entire network that's again, like heavily devoted to mountain biking. I mean, yeah, from what I understand, like I haven't written, I've written in several other places in Vermont, but not kingdom trails, but mm-hmm. it does seem like there's a lot of flow trails, which, are, you know, standout flow trails will usually help a, a destination grow. Yeah. Which is rare too, though. I feel like that's kind of the draw for that region is there aren't a lot of flow trails or traditionally there haven't been. It's like a lot of rocky technical, like just pedally stuff. Whereas kingdom trails for a while, it stood out because yeah, you could just go there and, and ride fast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that helps it stand out even though, yeah, like you mentioned, there's quite a bit of flow trails throughout Vermont now, but yeah, they've definitely had their hiccups with growth as, as Copper Harbor has, but it seems like, kingdom trails even though you know those that most popular nucleus of uh of trails has still been closed off um it seems like they've rebounded from it pretty well and people are mm-hmm. um at least returning there now that the borders have opened back up and um i was a few hours west in new york this summer and people i spoke with out there still kind of hold it in high regard and and want to go and travel there and, and said that they're still seeing a lot of visitors at Kingdom Trails. Yeah. And Kingdom Trails is one where, yeah, it has 
changed over the years? Like, I, it's hard to it's hard to say. Is it more popular or less popular? Is it on an upswing or a downswing? I mean, you used to have the Nimba Fest there every year, um, and that's since moved on. I believe now it's in Maine, uh, which is probably a little harder for people to get to up in Carabasset Valley. Uh, but yeah, I mean, despite losing that, there's still still a huge demand for the trails there. And, and I think a lot of people are coming from Canada to ride there, at least when the border is open. And um, just looking at the map of trails, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible, like the network of trails there. And you could easily spend a week without riding everything in the Kingdom Trails network. And also, I think a lot of us maybe don't realize or we forget there's like a lift, ski lift area there, like kind of in the middle of the Burke Mountain. Oh, yeah. Um, so there is some kind of, yeah, I mean, it's not not huge descents, but there is that option for people who want to do that style of riding. And so, yeah, again, it's it's like East Coast, there really isn't much else. I mean, there's Pisgah and there's uh, Kingdom Trails. And because there are so many people who, who live on the East Coast, um, those places places by default they get a ton of visits and they really do when you show up you know you're in a mountain bike town that's for sure and i think that's what what makes kingdom trails special in that regard okay so traditionally we've limited this list to 10 it's like a top 10 list um but this time (laughs) we had a harder time we were like well we can't just limit it to 10 because there's other ones that that we really thought deserved a spot here and at number 11, we included Durango, Colorado, which is a new one for the list. And it's also, if I'm counting this right, it's the third one in Colorado. But it's in sort of like a different zone from a lot of the other ones, right? Have, have you been to Durango, Matt, to ride? I have not. No, that's, um, I have not even been to that section of the state and planning on going not to Durango, but down in that area by Silverton, um, in a month, month and a half, something like that. So it'll be actually my first jaunt because it's like six hours from here. And, uh, (laughs) it's just like a winding, uh, winding excursion to get there from the Denver Metro area. Yeah. Yeah. And then Chris, I don't, have you ridden there yet? Yes. I've ridden a little bit in Durango. I'm actually, actively trying to move there <laughs> <laughs> because the trails are so good or just because it's a cool town <laughs> both so the trails are there's a lot there's a lot of trails in that area not just Durango but you know kind of the surrounding mountains mm-hmm. because it's surrounded by mountains which is amazing what I think stands out to me about the trails there is that there are a lot of really long and difficult rides there mm-hmm. that are what I would consider, you know, mountain or high alpine rides. And, yeah. and they're, you know, they're not easy. So you can spend a whole day on one trail. You can actually ride from Telluride to Durango. And if you've never been in that area, it's absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Mm. So um, that I like. And also it's, it feels sort of high desert at the same time. So it's Southwest Colorado, which is, I think it's about two and a half hours from Moab. So that's another big draw. If you were to come to, you can fly into Durango. It's probably a little cheaper than flying into Moab and you could ride, you know, the whole 
the whole kind of four corners area, if you will, with uh, Arizona and Utah being very close and New Mexico as well. So I haven't ridden a lot of trails there, but the ones that I have have been challenging and beautiful. And the weather is usually pretty nice. Even in the summer, there's a river there and it is really quite remote, even for people in Colorado. It's a town of something about around 20,000, which seems really big, but when you get there, it's about the only town around. <laughs> yeah. So that makes it pretty special. And they're definitely very friendly to mountain bikers. They also have purgatory there, which has turned their ski resort into a bike park in the summer. And they have a ton of, um, I mean, they have a ton of Devo programs there for the people that do live there. So they're really, really focused on mountain biking from an early age. And, and it shows when you see other riders on the trails there, they're, most of them are pretty advanced riders and there are definitely some, some easier trails that you can start on. So there's a progression for people, especially for the younger crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's such a strong mountain bike community there. Yeah. If you're a high school athlete who wants to go to a college and continue mountain biking, then Fort Lewis is kind of the place to do it too, right? Like still so many pros getting pumped out of that school. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot of options. For sure. Right. There's riding, great riding in town. There's the telegraph trail system, which is accessible from town. And I think it's, it's like butts right up to the Fort Lewis campus. And so, yeah, a lot of the mountain bike athletes that are there will train on those trails. And then obviously you have the higher up uh, trails like the Colorado trail kind of goes through that zone. Uh, I mean, probably a 45 minute or hour drive outside of town. But yeah, I've been there a few times for riding and done kind of a little bit of everything, which is great, which is kind of why I think it's a a perfect mountain bike destination because you can ride really good trails in town, like the Overend Mountain. I think it's, I don't know if it's called Overend Mountain, but yeah, named for Ned Overend. He's got like a park there that's got a lot of riding. And then um, I did a bike packing trip several years ago that sort of left out of Durango and heads west. And so there's just great riding there. The Colorado Trail ends pretty close to Durango. And so you see a lot of bike packers there for that. What else? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great, a great place that I think, like you said, Chris, it's, it's a town where a number of people live, but these are people who are like, really into mountain biking. I mean, that Devo program is one of the biggest. Um, I believe Christopher Blevins is from that program, a product of that, um, one of the top U.S. riders. And so, yeah, just super cool vibe there and a great place to visit for those who are, are looking for a trip to ride somewhere new. Okay, so last on our list, number 12, is Bellingham, Washington. And this is one that, yeah, I think I wrote in in our article about the list, I wrote that we were going to get a lot of shit from people in Bellingham, not because they don't think that they're a great destination, but because they don't want anybody to know about it. And (laughs) that's kind of been the vibe traditionally. I think things are changing. I mean, the secret is out. A lot of the bike industry is based in Bellingham, a lot of the U.S., bike industry is based there. You've got brands like Transition and Evil 
and Kona and lots of other ones that you may not have realized are in Bellingham. But there's also a lot of mountain bike journalists who are there. Uh, Giroux recently moved there, um, now working at Evil. But yeah, just a great riding scene for sure. A lot of it's centered around a trail network called Galbraith Mountain. And that is a really large riding area that I believe is owned by like a timber company. And for years they've leased that land or allowed mountain bikers to ride out there. And so, yeah, they've just developed some really fun trails to ride a lot of variety there too. They've got like jump lines and, you know, steep slabby stuff like you want to find in the Northwest there at Galbraith. And then outside of that, there's other trail systems like Chucka Nuts and some other ones that you can get into that like really loamy type single track and steep stuff. And it's always super green and wet. And to me, that that makes it stand out from a lot of these other Western destinations for sure. Most of those are going to be drier and, you know, not as jungly. Like Bellingham is just Super, super unique. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Matt? Yeah, I know you'd kind of like chewed on the fact of whether it was a quote unquote destination or not, because it's, you know, still somewhat of a a, a city, you know, people reside there and not just like the uh the the one percenters and, and the <laughs> restaurant wait staff and people like that that you know, are typically found in, uh, destination towns, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's an industrial city and yeah. Are, are people going out to like, kind of have that typical mountain bike destination experience? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I've only been once only visited once and yeah, stayed at like a Sheridan hotel right off the interstate. And, you know, mm. obviously you're going to have to drive to the trails, you know, if you're staying at a place like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a traditional destination yet, but I could see it springing up with folks in the industry who are like, hey, I want to do my own thing. Like, I'm going to open up a hostel for bikers or, you know, set up a campground like out in the woods. Like, I think once once that starts happening, I think it could it can really take off as a destination. And, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for the folks that have relocated there, the mountain bikers recently, but. I get the sense that it's like as, as a U.S. citizen, that's like as close as you can get to like living in Whistler, uh, that you can get without leaving the country. And so, you know, I think people have said it's like a three hour drive, two and a half, three hour drive from Bellingham to Whistler. And so that makes it a convenient place to live if you're a mountain biker who enjoys riding, you know, some of the best trails. And so. Yeah, I think we're seeing that. I mean, it's almost like a Fruta and Moab situation where like maybe people had started like, oh, I'm going up to Whistler, stop off in Bellingham and and do a few rides on the way. And it's kind of developed over time and and seems to be becoming a destination in its own right. Any thoughts, Chris? Have you ridden up in the Pacific Northwest? I have not. I would love to go there. That's on my list of places to go. I've, I've had many friends move there in the last few years. And honestly, I wasn't even sure what the term loam meant 
<laughs> for a while there. Um, but I, th- I think that's the draw for me. I want to see what this loam yeah. is because all I'm we ready. have here is, uh, you know, dusty, dry, hot, uh, trails. And I, I rarely ride on wet trails, even Copper Harbor. It's, mm-hmm. I would say at the best is moist unless it's actively raining. So I'm curious to see what that terrain is like. And I've never been to Whistler, unfortunately. But if I were going to go to Bellingham, then I think the the other draw would be to be able to drive to Whistler from there as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing about Loam, I mean, I think mountain bikers, there's like this thing about it because we see it in the videos and it's like you see the stuff like flying in the air, the brown pow. But for me, it's like, you just feel like you can push yourself a little harder because you're like, if I fall on that, it's not going to hurt. It's kind of like, you know, the wood, <laughs> wood chip pile yeah. or the like airbag, you know, practice session. You better traction. Yeah. You got good traction, right? You can really lean into the turns more and like, yeah, I think that's, that's it. And there aren't a lot of places where you can do that. I think somebody, when I was talking to somebody in Santa Cruz, they were saying how they had, a bit of loam there and that, you know, yeah, it's a, one of the few other places where you're really going to find that kind of riding outside of like BC. So yeah, for the U S I think that that qualifies it. It's got to, right. That's, that makes it a yeah. destination. <laughs> <laughs> what is this loam? Yeah. I want to see it. <laughs> yes. We want to experience it without leaving the U S that's where you yes. need to go. <laughs> it kind of seems to like the, you know, cause now it has this, reputation for having these like sick trails um and that impetus from my perspective seems to have come from the local riding populace itself Mm -hmm. rather than it being driven by tourists for sure but in turn when you know now that reputation is out that there's these northwest kind of uh bc-esque trails like that makes it more attractive and it's Mm -hmm. you know those are the kind of trails like hey you can go ride stuff that Maybe you'd find in, in Whistler, but you don't have to break out your passport or, um, you know, anything like that. So yeah, maybe it's misconstrued, but to me, it kind of seems like that's now the attraction for it. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, I think some of these destinations, that's kind of the, the script or the pattern that they followed is some local folks started building trails and people heard about them and then, you know, once somebody realized this is good for the economy or this is bringing people into our town, then they are able to invest in those trails. And yeah, it's kind of a thing that builds on itself. So it will be cool to, to check this list in a few years and see like who's kind of moved up and, and who's moving down. Because for the most part, even these top destinations like Moab, they continue to evolve and, and to invest in trails and create new trails and rework the ones that are kind of, you know, not as popular as they used to be. And so, yeah, if they're not doing that, they're, they're going to be left behind in this sort of market for mountain bike tourists. Yeah. And to see what other destinations pop up in five years time, you know, like the last time Bentonville didn't pop up and, um, oddly enough, like Copper Harbor didn't at that time, uh, or Bellingham, but, um, yeah, now that the concept of mountain bike tourism is really well known um, and there's constantly like 
new towns building um, their future on this idea. Um, yeah. What other cities are we going to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully we'll get to preview some of that. Um, some of the coverage we're working on is exploring these under the radar destinations and the up and coming places. And like I said, we had this list of 40 different destinations and, one of the commenters on single tracks said, can you just share that list? Can I just see the 40, like, at, you know, no commentaries necessary. I just, I just want to know what those are. And so I think, yeah, over the next year, at least we're going to be kind of exploring some of those and visiting some ourselves and, you know, talking to the people there and yeah, trying to figure out what, what is the next destination well, if you want to see more from our list and uh, read a bit more about each of these destinations, find out more about where you can ride and where you can stay and eat and all that stuff, be sure to check Single Tracks, where we've got a ton of coverage for these destinations and some of those up and coming destinations as well. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. week.